before I lead us in prayer, maybe that's hard for you to believe today. Maybe it's hard for you to think that whatever you're going through, that through it all, that it's going to be well with you. Would you just tell the Lord that? Because He already knows it. He knows you're struggling. May you look to Him. Would you cast that burden upon Him? Give that to Him right now. The Word of the Lord tells us that when everything is going crazy outside, that the center can hold. that? Would you find that? Would you seek that right now? The peace of God that passes understanding. Father God, today I pray for those who struggle with some difficulty right now that's making it really hard for them to cling to you, but but they know they should, and they know that you're there and, and yet getting there. So I pray your blessing and your grace and your mercy on them right now to help them find that place where they're centered so they can sit by the fireplace while the winter storm is raging outside and know that all is well. All is work in our lives today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 30, invite you to turn to that. Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, the last book of what's called the Pentateuch in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 30, our scripture reading today begins in verse 11. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you will have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live, 
and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides now and forever. May he bless the reading of it today. We are continuing our Through the Bible series. I've entitled The Greatest Story. The greatest story really begins, the, the crux of the matter begins in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned, and sin entered the world, and there was this great dilemma. The dilemma is that God is pure and just and holy, and mankind has now broken the law of God, the one law God asked him to keep. He's broken the law of God, and he is sinful. And there is a dilemma that needs to be resolved. And the rest of the Bible is the story of the most amazing story that you can imagine. It is the pursuit of God who solves this dilemma in ways beyond we can imagine. So we are working through Act 1. There are three acts in the story. If you have your chart with you, we're in Act 1, the provision of redemption, which is the story of the nation of Israel, and it culminates with the resurrection of Jesus. So our chart looks like this. We begin with Abraham in Genesis 12. God made a great, made a blessing to him. He said, you're going to be a blessing to other people. I'm going to make a mighty nation of you. So he had a son, Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. God chose Jacob. Jacob had 12. Joseph went down to Egypt. Later, the nation moved down there, and there were 70 of them, and then they grew down there, and that's all those little dots down there in the box. They multiplied to probably, we think, at least two or three million people. God raised up a leader, that's the big black dot, that's Moses. They went to Mount Sinai, Moses received the law. And last week and this week is a two-part series from sermon number six. And we're, you see that little dash between Sinai and the land? Well, we're living in the dash. That's where we are. Next week we'll get to Joshua and the land. But right now, we're living in the dash. After Mount Sinai, before the promised land. Last week we saw Israel, the nation of Israel, they came to a fork in the road and God says, there's this great land I'm going to give you. And they said, well, we need to make some plans on how we're going to do it. So let's send out 12, let's send out 12 spies, 12 explorers to go explore the land, 12 scouts to go out, one from each tribe. And they went out and they came back. And you remember what happened? <clears throat> the Bible tells us that 10 of the 12 did not believe God. And they said, there's giants in the land. The, the walled cities extend up to the heavens. We can't defeat them. Only two, Joshua and Caleb, said, that's wrong. We believe God. God is going to fight for us. God will provide this land for us. But alas, the people believed the ten. And we learned the principle there that unbelief which is rebellion against God, it's said another way. Unbelief will stymie the work of God. God cannot use us, God cannot use us without believing, trusting hearts of obedience to Him. That sounds kind of scary to say, but you could stop the work of God in your life by your unbelief. And that's why when we get over to Hebrews chapter 11, if you remember that, the great chapter, it talks about all the heroes of the faith. And how do all those verses begin? It says, by faith, Abraham, by faith, 
Joseph. By faith, it goes on, Moses. It goes on and on. By faith. I alluded to that in our prayer. We're all going to run into things that tempt us and pull us away from believing and trusting in God. And it's simple. It's not always easy, but it's simple. That's the heart of the matter, is to stay at that place of belief and trust in God. But here we have no faith, and we have God judging them. And so we have some sobering numbers today from the book of Numbers. The Bible says that ten times, ten times they tested them and tried them. Ten times they disobeyed God. The Bible also says ten of the spies didn't believe God, and God struck them dead with a plague right then. He didn't mess around. He didn't wait around. He judged them right then. The second number is number 20. He says, what? Everyone 20 years old and older will die in the wilderness. You'll never see the promised land. You're going to wander in the wilderness. And he says, you got to search out the land for 40 days? And you didn't believe me? You get to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And we find out when we get over to Deuteronomy chapter 1 that the trip to the promised land could have taken them a mere 11 days. And instead, it takes them 14,610 days, which is the same as 40 years. Wow. Our belief, lack of faith, rebellion, whatever you want to call it, matters. It makes a difference along the way and what happens in our lives, and what God can do in our lives. So, back to the story. Forty years of wandering, waiting to die. Now, what was God doing during this time? It tells us in Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, it says this. Remember, this is at the end of the story. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. To do what? What was God doing? To humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Those 40 years were to humble them and test them to see if they would follow God, if they had learned their lesson, if they would believe God. I used to resist that idea. People used to say, well, you know, life on this earth is just one big test. But the longer I live, the more I think that's true. Um, And I think there's a biblical basis for that. If you look at the words testing or trials or temptation or refining, words like that are used more than 200 times in the Bible. And we know stories how God tested Adam and Eve, they failed. God tested Abraham with his son Isaac, he passed. David, God tested David several times and bless his heart, he passed some and he failed some, didn't he? God uses these things from testing, and that's what's going on in the nation of Israel. So today, if you're tracking and you're reading in the Bible and where we are, I'm kind of covering from Numbers 15 all the way through the book of Deuteronomy. So there's a lot, a lot of, a lot of verses, a lot of themes there, and lots of things to talk about. I'm just going to pull out several things that kind of hit me that I thought were big rocks 
They kind of, and some of it was just my own opinion, I guess you might say. What really struck me, and some I think are, are, are issues that are big issues. The first thing I like to talk about is he, he talks in there a lot about treating the foreigners and the poor people well because the temptation is to look down on them or to mistreat them. It says this in Deuteronomy 15. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in the land. And there's verses that also talk about caring for the foreigner or the alien that was in the land as well. And, and we see this reinforced in the teachings of Jesus, and we see it in the epistles after Jesus. Do you remember this verse from 1 Timothy 6? Command those who are rich in this present world. Let me stop there for a minute. That's all of us? If you're an American, you're in the top 5% of the world. Many of you, many of us, I should say, are in the top 2% of the world's wealth. So when they say, command those who are rich, you know who they're talking to? Us. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That is that God is our provider. What else? Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves. Where? In heaven. In heaven. As a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So this is a principle we see in the Old Testament. And again, there's a progressive nature through the Word of God. There's an integrity and a unity to the Word of God. This is a theme that flows through. God consistently talks about us caring for the foreigners and the aliens and the poor. So part of that test that God has given us to take is money. And to whom much is given, much is required. And I don't know how it all works, but somehow God weaves rich people, average people, and poor people into his plan. That's the plan of God. It works somehow that way. Second principle I see, and this is a big one, everyone gets this, it's the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. Shema is the word in Hebrew that means hear, and it's synonymous with the idea of obey. Deuteronomy chapter 6, I don't think it's on the screen, I'm, or is it on the screen? Is it on the screen? Nope, it's not, it's, uh, but it's in your Bible. You can always read your Bible, you won't always have a screen. Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is the heart of the law. It's to love God with all your heart, your mind, and strength, with all of your being. Jesus iterated this in the New Testament and added to it to love your brother as you love yourself so understand this every everything everything cascades out of this 
Everything cascades out of my love for God and your love for God. All these other things cascade out of that. And I want to be candid with you. None of the outward appearances of spirituality and obedience really mean anything without love for God and love for man. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 talks about. It talks about all those things that you can do and says without love, it's, you get an automatic zero on the test. I mean, that's what it says in the Bible. It says, train your children in these ways. And that's the idea of that your spirituality is more than coming to church for a Sunday and just sitting here and soaking and saying, check the block, I went to church this Sunday. It's the whole of your life when you sit down, when you walk on your way. And they talk about, don't forget, and some of the things they have are these pictures of symbols, like people put them, and, and Orthodox Jews still put those symbols on their forehead. And then people write them on their doorposts and the windows. These people, they just wrote it on the wall. So, uh, and, and all of that. And those things, and there's nothing wrong with that. But understand this. You can tie symbols to your forehead. If any of you want to start doing that, that'd be a new fashion craze probably from 12th Avenue anyway. I'll be watching for that. Um, you can write verses on your, around the door frames and all that, the verses there to remind you. And there's nothing wrong with those things. You know, whatever, to remind you. But understand, the heart of the matter is a love for God and love for other people. And you can do all those things without your heart. I was turning on the television this morning. Tony Evans was on there, and he's got something about kingdom and talking about kingdom men. And he was talking about, it's all about living under the rule and reign of Jesus. Who's, who's, and it's really the issue is, who's going to rule in your heart? Who's going to be the king in your heart? And he said it, and I agree with it. He says, God tolerates no rivals. God will tolerate no rivals. He is the king. He is the king. And so hear me. As you live under the rule and reign of Jesus, as you love God and you love people, then all of this flows out of your life. And if you just try to go through the motions, whether it's going to church on Sunday or tying something on your wrist or your forehead, or putting verses on the wall. It's not going to make any difference. Really not going to make any difference unless you have the heart of the matter, the first love for God. Remember all the all, rules follow relationship. Salvation comes before sanctification. It's out of our relationship with God that we want to please God. Then the obedience to these commands means something because it's coming from our heart. It's not just legalism, dead legalism. But when we are right with God, we want to please and we look to Him. We look to Him, look for the affirmation in His eyes of what we do. So, treat the foreigners and the poor well. Love God first. That is big teaching from one of, the great, one of the greatest teachings that you'll find in the, the Pentateuch is to love God with all of your being. The next thing that I see in here that I think I need to address is this issue of the total destruction of the Canaanites. 
I hear people say, well, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, they seem like they're different gods. In the Old Testament, he, he's, he's harsh, and we see him condemning these people and obliterating people. And sometimes when you talk to people, they'll say, well, how can God be good? How can God be moral? How can God be just? And wipe those people off the map. In fact, and that's in the Bible. It says this in Deuteronomy 20, verses 16 through 18. However, in the cities of the nation, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Do not leave anything alive that breathes. Completely destroy them, the Hittites, the Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. I know I was leaving one of them out. As the Lord your God has commanded you, otherwise they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do and worshiping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. Now, there's a, there's a, lot, of, there's a lot of layers to this, and, and, and so what I'm going to share with you now won't, won't be comprehensive, but as, we, as I journey through the land and, and we have Joshua and Judges, we might touch on this a little bit more because I couldn't fully unwrap this. But I want to give you a few principles I think that apply, and I think they're important to remember. Number one, God is committed to blessing all the nations on the earth. Now, that goes back to Genesis 12 and the promise that was given to Abraham. And he says, in you, in you, through this work of redemption I'm going to do, you're going to be a blessing, you're going to be a conduit of blessing to all the nations. And there's a long list of Bible characters in the Old Testament that we can recount who were outside the Jewish community that God blessed. Melchizedek and Job and the mixed multitude that traveled on the Exodus. Moses married a Cushite Ethiopian woman. Rahab, Ruth, Uriah the Hittite, remember Bathsheba's husband? Naaman the general, Syrian general if I remember right. And there's all these specific things that I talked about before, the accommodations they made for the foreigners living among them, and the civil law of Israel was going to be for them just as well as the Jews. If we could fast forward to the end times in, in Act 3, we're going to see in the end times, I can tell you what we're going to see there. In the end days it says there could people, be people of every tribe and nation worshiping God. So don't just pull these verses out and say, God doesn't love anybody else. God doesn't care. No, God is committed to blessing the nations. Number two, all humanity is subject to the moral law of God. What does it say in Romans chapter 1? Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Sometimes people call this natural law. This is because we see all of creation and nature and the orderliness and we think a, a created world must have a creator. And he says, because that people have this sense of God, sense of other, sense of power, that they're without excuse for the way they live. So even the non-Jew in the Old Testament, the Gentile, 
was accountable to the moral law of God. And what we have here in these specific instances are people who violated that moral law of God on many levels. One example is child sacrifice. People sacrificing their children to God. That's not the same thing as when you say, I could strangle that child. No, that's, not the, that's something different. This really happened. And they turned to false gods and they developed a whole culture around false demonic religions. The third principle we see is that God's long-suffering with their wickedness has reached an end. Now, it's happened before. Think back with me. Genesis chapter 6, God looked at the whole earth and he saw that the world was corrupt and filled with sin. And remember, there was a great flood, destroyed the world, everybody except Noah and his family. You get over to Genesis, I forget, 17, 18. He looked down and he saw the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was time. And he judged them. There's an interesting verse in Genesis 15. Genesis 15, 6 talks about that Abraham believed God and was counted him righteousness. And we use that as the proof text to talk about how people were saved by faith all through the Bible, not just in the New Testament, in the Old Testament as well. But in verse 16, it says this, Genesis 15, 16 in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorite, Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. What in the world is that talking about? What God is talking about is these people that live in Canaan, the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and all this, he is giving them, I believe, God is giving them a chance to change their ways. This was written 430 years before they get to the promised land. Probably a little bit longer than that, actually. He is giving them a chance, but in God's perfect knowledge, there's going to reach a point. There's going to be a, a fullness of time. Their sin, if we could say it this way, is going to get to such a mature state that they are past the point of returning to God. So when we read these verses in the Old Testament, I want you to understand this was a specific mandate for a specific time and place given by God. And I believe, I believe it was given because of the demonic religion that had permeated the culture of these people, the temple prostitution, the incest, the bestiality, homosexuality, the child sacrifice, and all that. And I think you can argue that the real point was the obliteration of this religion off the face of the earth so that the Israelites would not be corrupted by this. So in summary, this was for one time, for a spe one specific generation, the time of Joshua, driven by a hopelessly corrupt culture over centuries of opportunities to turn away from this. So it is not to be seen as normative, even in biblical history, for the way God has operated. So none of us need to go on a Christian jihad, okay, I guess you might call it, and say we're going to obliterate all the people who don't believe in Jesus in the world. That is not the mandate that's been given to the church. And one of the things that's in marked contrast to other religions that we know about in the world. At the end of the day, God is sovereign. He does what He wills. It is His right.
to judge. He is God. The last thing I want us to look at in this section is the blessings and curses. We saw that in Scripture today, Scripture reading. Um, it says there, it's, it's not, it's, this is not too hard. God is near you. God longs to bless you, longs for you to walk with Him. And, and He unwraps this. And, and don't read this and, and may read this into a legalistic thing. You do these things, God will bless you. Again, that all flows out of your relationship with God. Salvation is by faith in God alone, Old Testament and New Testament. But the God who saves us also desires to bless us, for us to know His presence and His peace and His love and His goodness and His kindness. He wants us to have that deep inside of our soul, so that center part of us can be full and complete and happy. But in this context, he says, life is a continual series of choices that we make. And he says, he says this, there will be consequences if you turn from God. And I would say this to you today, my brothers and sisters. There will be consequences if we turn from God. Some of them, number one, are the natural consequences of sinful choices. If you become a thief, you'll get caught and go to jail. That's a natural consequence. If you become addicted to some substance, it will hurt you physically. If you turn away from God and become a, an abrasive, unkind person, you won't have any friends. <laughs> I mean, those are, those are what I would say are natural consequences that just flow out of doing things a way other than God's. The second thing is you will lose the protection of God that you have when you walk with Him. Now, this is a little bit, this is a little bit vaguer, more vague, I should say, a little more vague than this idea of the natural consequences. But there is a sense, hear me, there's a sense in which if you're walking with God, there is an umbrella of God's protection over you. That doesn't mean nothing bad ever happens to you, but God is, is there in the midst of it. And this is one of those things, I don't think you realize it so much on the front end as you do when you look back at your life and you can see instances where God was there for you. God was protecting you. God was coming through for you in ways that you didn't even realize at the time. And to me, that is the umbrella of God's protection that I can look back and see in my life and if you've walked very long with Jesus, I bet you can too. The third consequence will be the intentional discipline of your Heavenly Father. Hear me today. If you're a child of God and you know what is right to do and you refuse to do it and you persist in that, God will discipline you. Why does He do that? Because He's a good, good Father. Every good father disciplines their children. Hear me today, the only worst thing, the only worst thing than receiving the discipline of God is not to receive the discipline of God. Because if you don't receive the discipline of God when you go astray, that tells me you're not his child. Because what? Because he's a good father. And good fathers discipline their children. So if you can turn away from God and live just any way you please, 
and do things that you know that are wrong and you just rock along and nothing happens? Nothing happens to you and it's all hugs and kisses? You know, flowers and chocolates? That's not God. No, no. The pastor I used to work for in Arkansas used to say, God will put square wheels on your wagon. If you're a child of God and you're running from him, he, he's, he's going to show up. He's going to discipline you. So, now, said another way, just, just keep living under the rule and reign of King Jesus. Because the word of the Lord tells us in 1 Samuel 2.30, Those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me will be disdained. So, all of this, this blessing and curses reminds me that we, there's a tension I always wrestle with between God's predestination and God's free will, and man's free will, and how we weave all that together, and I can't, I can't fully reconcile that, and no one ever has to my satisfaction, and I think we can't because it's God. So let's talk about this 40 years of wilderness experience because I think a lot of Christian writers, a lot of theologians, a lot of deeply spiritual Christian people have spoken to this issue of living in this land between, living in the wilderness experience, going through a time of waiting and confusion and pain and suffering. And maybe maybe you realize that's what's going on in your heart. Now, I want to just tell you that it's, it's only the grace of God and the mercy of God that keeps us from being swallowed up in the quicksand of life. I believe that. But sometimes our, our wilderness is being driven by our own wandering. We've walked away from God. We've turned away from God in some way. And so whether it's natural consequences or no protection or discipline of God, it all starts with returning to God. And so that's when you know of something in your life that you've done wrong, you confess that to God and you turn away from it and you follow God and you get back on the path. And then you practice the disciplines to stay on the path. You come to church. You get in a life group where there's people that will hold you accountable and that are in your, involved in your life and you read your Bible and you pray and you try to be still and quiet so you can sense God's presence and God's leading. All those are disciplines that help us stay in touch with God. Hear me today, whether you've been on the journey with God for one day or for 60 years, there will be times that staying on the path with God will not be easy. It will feel like a wilderness experience. This life, I think, is a test of our faith. And so I leave you with this verse to encourage you. James 1.12 Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You see, persevering at the beginning of the verse is linked to the very last two words, loving him. It's all out of love for God, which is first, which goes back to Deuteronomy 6, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. 
It starts with that. And that's where we, out of love for God, we persevere, and God will reward us for that. What will that reward be? I don't know. What's a crown of life? I don't know what that is. That's something in heaven. It's something God gives us. It's good. It's good. I don't know what it is. It's good. So some of you today need a word to persevere because you feel like the trials are just weighing on you heavy. God's still there. God still loves you. God's going to see you through. As always, if you have questions about your spiritual journey, if you want to make another step of commitment, yield your life to God, uh, do, do some business with God, I'd love to chat with you about that. Uh, don't forget uh, the lake baptism this afternoon at 5 at Lake Wabunzi. We'll be carpooling from here at 4 o'clock, so if you want to find a ride with us out there, we're going to have uh, worship and baptism and hamburgers and hot dogs and be at the lake, so um, come, and obviously it's a casual event, and dress accordingly. Let's stand together for our closing prayer. Father, help us as we make our journey to keep our eyes fixed upon you, to love you, to trust you, to believe in you on those days when the sun is shining and on the days when it's storming as well, to know that you're there and to know that it is well with our soul because of you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've longed to have us in your family. Thank you that you will never, ever leave us. Thank you that nothing in this world or in the world to come will ever separate us from your love, which endures forever. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.